Well, the Top Gear boys, or should I say the Grand Tour boys, seem to be back at it again. There is a new trailer for their latest... I mean, we're talking about a trailer here for a TV show, but still, it gets me very excited. I've been watching Jeremy Clarkson and James May and Richard Hammond now for, gosh, it must be 15 plus years at this point. When a new episode of The Grand Tour drops, it is, well, because they drop so rarely, first of all, I make sure all my system is ready because, you know, you know, it's coming ahead of time. So I make <laughs> sure everything's ready to go. And then the, then I, I inform the family. Uh, because every new episode is a family event now. And so then we uh, we all have to kind of make sure we have a time scheduled. We gather around the TV and, uh, you know, hit that play button and always enjoy it. And um, <laughs> I don't know what it is about the Grand Tour versus other shows, but it's just such an event. Maybe because there's so few of them and it does have that history. I just love them too. It's also amazing. The amount of talent in the production crew for that show. Andy Willman obviously is the spearhead behind it. But Yes. I mean, you know, the, the three lads that present the show clearly are, are pretty good too, in, in my opinion. You know, people love to hate on Jeremy Clarkson, but he's very good at what he does. I was watching just before we sat down to record today's podcast, Ben Collins. Does that name mean anything to you? Mm, I don't think so. He was the original White Stig. So right at the very, very, very beginning of Top Gear, we're talking to like, 2002 2003 when they launched this this air quotes new format of top gear there was a black stig in like black overalls black helmet ben collins was the first white stig that came in in like 2003 era so he he drove things like the the toyota hilux that never died you know all all the really early stuff and he's launched a youtube channel called ben collins drives and he actually had on an interview today he was talking to a couple of the writers from the back room, talking about things like the Falklands trip with Jeremy's number plate that got him in trouble and a bunch, you know, like the space shuttle launch that they did with the Reliant Robin. Just a bunch of like proper nostalgia from Alex's university days that made me just go, oh, yeah, life was simpler back then. Yeah. And the Internet was a little slower, Alex. Things were simpler. But we do have positive times ahead just as we record now. Uh, we have probably two more episodes until the Southern California Linux Expo and, of course, also NixCon, which will be running right alongside. That's uh, going down on, uh, I think it starts on the 13th of March, 14th of March, but we'll have a link. 14th, yep. Yeah, okay. We'll have a link in the show notes so you can get all the deets if you're going to be able to make that because Alex and I are both going to be there. We are indeed. I am working the Tailscale booth, so unfortunately I won't be able to make the Jupiter Broadcasting team lunch that's going to happen in pasadena at uh was it yard house i think we're at but if you're at scale and want to come say hi i will be at the tail scale booth for the majority of the conference and then i will be floating around NixCon as well because i've got to get me some nicks fix oh i like that no guarantees we won't kidnap you <laughs> please do save me from booth <laughs> duty please yeah we'll come and get you we'll just we'll have we'll have like we'll find an audience member who's willing and ready to uh, stand in for you. We'll find your doppelganger in the crew of the audience, and we'll just have them stand in. We'll reward them somehow. Uh, nobody will notice. We will just have to audition people with the uh, the status of their home county's British accent. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's, a, that's probably a good idea. Uh, if you can make it to lunch, though, we'll have a link to the Yard House menus so you can get an idea. It's kind of an everything joint with a just a pretty big venue. Is that where we went last time? Generally, uh, about four out of five times. Every now and then we go somewhere else, but it's just so accommodating. Little place with a parking lot and the tram going right past. Probably. Yeah. It was, it was, I remember it was nice. We had, a, we had a pretty good turnout as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then also, if you want to coordinate with folks uh, from everything from road trips to just, 
you know, ops on the ground day of scale kind of stuff. We did set up a scale matrix chat room. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can join our scale matrix and do all your coordinates for the events and stuff. Why not? I don't know. Indeed, why not? And conference season this spring has gotten a bit silly, if I'm honest. Between scale on March the 14th and DevOps Days Austin on May the 2nd, I have five conferences in six weeks. Remember when there weren't any? What's I know. going on? Why yeah. are there so many? They're all in the spring. The, the nice thing about it is Linux Fest Northwest is, you know, like what, three or four weeks after uh, scale? Um, maybe it's six. And I have to stay. I have to. I mean, it would just be silly to because for the Saturday, Sunday, I'm in Seattle, and then the Thursday, Friday, I'm in Austin. It'd just be silly to fly back to Raleigh. So I mean, we're just gonna. I'm just gonna have to stay at the studio and get up to some shenanigans with you boys. What else can? What we else do? am what I else? gonna do? <laughs> Somehow, I imagine some of those shenanigans will make it on air too. Probably not all, but you know what? What can we do? Um, all right. So this week we have got to talk a little tail scale because I just sort of mentioned during the audio bookshelf episode that one of the ways I'm now deploying all of my container services is I don't do a reverse proxy. I don't even attach them to like a Docker network. Instead, I spin up a sidecar tail scale service container with each application. And then I set that application up to use that tail scale service container for its networking. We'll get into this more in a moment. But the end result is that those applications that I'm running in Docker are individually addressable on what Tailscale calls the Tailnet. So like Audio Bookshelf, you just go to https colon slash slash books in, in, in your browser if you're on my Tailnet, and it goes to my Audio Bookshelf. Or PDFs for the Sterling PDF app we talked about, which is fantastic. And uh, I've been getting peppered with questions ever since. Yeah, me too. People want details. <laughs> me too. And I, I got fed up with it. I'm... I'm, I'm Fed up's the wrong word. I got so many questions. I was like, right, I'm going to stop typing out this answer every single time to each individual person and make a video and write a blog post about it. So I kind of got a bit carried away and ended up writing a 4,000 word epic blog post for the Tailscale blog and also a 32 minute YouTube video going into the ins and outs of auth keys and OAuth clients and adding things to your Tailnet programmatically. So if you've been looking for a way to put containers on your tailnet without doing anything manually and then also exposing them using Tailscale Servant Funnel, which means you don't need a reverse proxy in your life. I'm looking at you, Brent. Then this is the video and the blog post for you. Yeah. I, I think the reason why I want to talk about this is if you are on board with being on a Tailscale network and you could – some of these fundamentals you could put any – any kind of network solution in here that does what Tailscale does, which is fast and easily connect your devices directly to each other. And this part isn't the ad, just so you know, this is how we have our network set up. I think if you're somebody who gets derailed when you look at uh, the complexities of DNS and reverse proxy and all that kind of stuff, and it just feels like it's a barrier to getting your applications launched, this is this could be a great solution for you. But also, if you're somebody like me who has done those things in the past, but really ultimately wants portability, I, I the, the, What I like about my setup is I can kind of lift and move the containers and the data anywhere, and all of the DNS, the host name, all the tailnet stuff will stay the same. So I can move between hosts. I could run this on a VPS, and I'm accessing it on a VPS. Then maybe that VPS gets expensive, so I move that to an internal system, but I don't have to change any of my network addressing or anything like that because the tailnet 
because the node ID and all that will remain the same and the host name will remain the same. So there's kind of some like multiple benefits and that's why I like doing it. But I think for people that are also just looking for simplicity, it's a really good solution. Maybe you don't want to learn traffic. That's you, all right. Well, this could be a solution. It can be a bit of a pain sometimes. Now, as, as part of my research for this article, I ended up going down the rabbit hole of container networking. And the reason for that is because Tailscale makes an official Docker image, but that is just its own thing. Like it, it's its own application. If you wanted to proxy another container service, let's say Audio Bookshelf or Mealy for recipes or, or whatever it is, you have to link those two containers together somehow. And for the longest time, I've done this with VPN applications. So I link my Qubit Torrent, for example, to a VPN service, right, to, to download Linux ISOs. But I never really fully understood how it worked. So I went and found out how it works. I'm going to try and explain it for you in this next few minutes. So the general idea behind a container is it creates an isolated set of resources within the Linux kernel called namespaces. So when you create a container, it gets a new mount namespace, it gets a new networking namespace, and a bunch of others. Those namespaces, by design, are isolated environments. You can't reach from one to the other without explicitly allowing that connection between the two, which is why when you create a container, you, ha you have to do the volumes thing or the ports map or whatever it is to allow access from one namespace. It could be the the, op the host operating system's namespace into the container's namespace or vice versa. Now what's happening under the hood when you're actually doing the network mode, so you do network mode, colon, service, and then the name of the Docker Compose service you want to link the containers together with, you're actually just merging those two namespaces together underneath. So if you do a netstat uh, and print out all the listening uh, processes and services with inside a namespace when the two containers are separate, you'll see that, you know, for example, you've got Nginx and Tailscale as two separate containers. You'll see that Tailscale's listening on its ports and Nginx is listening on its ports, doing, they're both doing their separate things. You add the network mode parameter to your Docker Compose file and then do the same netstat and both namespaces show the same thing. The, the, the process ID that owns that namespace shows the same processes for both containers. And it was just one of those moments in my head during the weekend where I was sort of researching this stuff like, holy crap, that makes total sense. How did I not know it worked that way before? And maybe it will help you to understand a little more of the, the inner workings of containers. Maybe it won't. But certainly for me, I found it super interesting. The idea of namespaces in Linux is a really powerful concept and tool. And it, yeah, it applies to networking. It can apply to resources like uh, isolating processes. And uh, this is kind of the, those are the fundamentals that Docker and Podman and, and other containers are all based around. So this kind of understanding these, the, I think these base components might be key to maybe appreciating how you can link a container to another container and use its networking. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that's kind of the key to it. I mean, I thought for a while that somehow that the the child container was attaching to the interface of the parent container. And no, that's not, that's not how it works, Alex. Like it's just namespaces and like, like everything. It's just turtles all the way down. Yeah. It's it's Linux kernels all the way down. That's what it is. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now with this with this base knowledge, uh, I think it's kind of easier to understand maybe how you could link the networking together on two containers. Um, so you can start to kind of appreciate maybe how you could create a little Docker network or you could create maybe a, uh, maybe you could have I don't know I have not actually tried this Alex but could I create one tailnet 
service container that has multiple containers running off of it? Or would I always have individual tail scale service containers for each application I'm firing up via Docker Compose? Well, for right now, it will be one sidecar container per service. Um, the reason for that is because you want to have a meaningful host name for that tail scale container. So mealy dot whatever your ts.net name is. We are working, and I'm not sure if I should say this on air or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. We understand that this is a problem. I was talking to one of the engineers about this, and it even has a project code name internally to solve this one-to-many uh, problem, a bit like what a reverse proxy does. So it's something we're working on. It's not ready yet, and I, I won't go into any more details than that. But the upshot is that what one of those individual sidecar containers uses about 17 megabytes of RAM, give or take. So okay. we're not talking a huge lift to have 10 of those services running alongside 10 of your other containers, or whatever they may be. I would tend to agree, especially for the kind of the portability benefits you get from it that I mentioned earlier. That's kind of worth the 17 megabyte memory overhead. I mean, if you don't want to go that route, there's nothing to stop you doing a reverse proxy linked to the tailscale container as the sidecar, and then you can do whatever you want with a reverse proxy and, and forward traffic around that way. If you really do only want one sidecar proxy, that would probably be the way to do it. Yeah, I suppose so. The, the end result for me and the family is a lot of simplicity. It's also easier to manage those applications because you can SSH and do those kinds of things if that's running in the container as well. Um, I will link in the show notes how I set up Audio Bookshelf. I went ahead and published my Docker Compose. I don't think there's anything confidential in there. And a couple of notes that went along with it. Although Alex's guide is much more comprehensive. So we'll have that linked in the show notes as well. What's funny is I had a listener write to me the other day. So my, my infrastructure repo for, for about the last five years has had 99.9% less leaked credentials. And every time I leak a credential, I, I increment that number by 0.1%, and it's now at 99.8. So <laughs> thank you to the listener that wrote in, because I accidentally committed a secret. But, uh, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. It's my nightmare. It's yeah. My nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tailscale.com slash self-hosted. That's where you go to support the show and get 100 devices for free. Tailscale is the easiest way to connect devices and your services directly to each other, wherever they are. And I think it's probably pretty clear by now. We genuinely do love Tailscale, and we've really baked it into every layer of our home network. I, I think I want to just take a moment and just kind of advise you on how I would get started if you haven't gotten started yet, just kind of going back to basics for just a moment. If you've heard us talk about Jellyfin, you know we love Jellyfin, but one of the problems is it doesn't have a built-in sharing mechanism like Plex does. You could use Tailscale for that. You don't have to, re we're not at, you know, you don't have to revamp your entire network. Start small. Set up Tailscale and invite a friend because Tailscale has a sharing mechanism. And lots of people have Tailscale, so I've noticed a real network effect there because, my friends, we all share our devices now. Well, okay, not all, but some of our devices. And you can too. So maybe start with something like Audio Bookshelf or Jellyfin. Start small, solve a single problem. Maybe you want to connect two different VPSs in two different providers together on one back-end network for backups. Because you can cross data centers. You can cross data centers on your phone, right? Anywhere your device is on any OS. And you can get it set up in just minutes. It's easy to deploy. It's a zero-config mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. And fundamentally, TailScale is a technology that connects your devices and your services together wherever they are, regardless of what's between them. 
And then if you want to get fancy, they got ACLs. So you can set up policies so that way if you do share stuff, people can only get to the right things. And there's some really powerful DNS tooling in there that I totally take advantage of. And a lot of nice things like Tailscale Send and Tailscale SSH. You'll, you'll get down that rabbit hole. But don't get overwhelmed by that stuff. Just get started by going to tailscale.com self-hosted. Start small. Put it on a VPS in your phone and maybe your desktop. Create yourself a little mesh network. Or maybe it's time to share Jellyfin or audio bookshelf with a friend or family member. Tailscale can be great for that. Start small. Try it on a few devices. You got up to 100 for free. And see why Alex and I love it so much. Get started, support the show, and get 100 devices for free at tailscale.com slash self-hosted. That's tailscale.com slash self-hosted. A new month, a new Home Assistant release, and it's it's hard to keep up. I mean, I was just on the, the social medias earlier looking at, at the Home Assistant project. They're hiring like crazy at the moment. Yeah, good on them. You know, I, I don't think they're overreaching. They, they seem like they're, they're being pretty practical about it and hiring in the right spots. Uh, I'm having a hard time keeping up with just the releases. I was looking at their analytics. I think most folks are about one month behind, you know, for the folks that do contribute. They say about 300,000 people are now submitting analytics, so uh, they can they have data on about 300,000 instances. They also believe, Paula stated, about one in three probably report. So the real active Home Assistant instance number is probably somewhere around a million active instances out there. They must get a good sense from the Nebucasa subscriptions. Oh, good point. Yeah, perhaps they do some pinging there too. I mean, I know not everybody subscribes, but... I would imagine a good percent do. I'd, I'd be really interested to know what that number is, actually. Not a lot in the uh, in the uh, February release. Better drag-and-drop support for automations is sort of what they, they led with. Um, I think the big things for, for most of us are really much, much better managed updates for Zigbee devices inside Home Assistant, like you can update other things like on Z-Wave. That's huge. Not all vendors are going to participate, but... Of course not. Yeah, <laughs> that would be too much to ask, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you know the ones that do, uh, I think that'd be kind of. I think that'd be kind of nice. Did you see they've added CarPlay support? Yes, for the app. That's big, Alex. God, I've been really kind of trying to think of how to revamp my uh, "I'm coming home" automation. I'd like something that's location independent, but could also be triggered with location hints. Um, so, for example, maybe an NFC tag that I scan on my way out the studio. I've done this once before. Yeah, that's not the way to go. No, no, you know, you know, NFC tags—they just—they they, suck. They fail occasionally, it, and that's once too many times. They suck on iOS too. Like all the—you got to unlock and activate and stuff—and they're not so bad on the Pixel. But yeah, I—I I, I don't know. Maybe it's not a—maybe it's not an NFC tag. But I want some way to trigger an automation that sends the wife a message gives her my current location an estimated time of arrival uh, and all that kind of stuff. And I can do it with home kit and shortcuts, but I'd like it to be home assistant based in the immortal words of Jeremy Clarkson. How hard could it be? How hard Alex, how hard could it be? Yeah. It turns out with those sorts of things, it's all about the edge cases and you know, it's like trying to get a robot to bake bread. Humans are actually pretty good at spotting problems. And, and being creative about how they solve them and contextual whatever decision-making. Whereas, you know, a computer is only as smart as the monkey that programmed it. Mm, TP-Link users will be happy to see some improvements to the TP-Link integration, new devices supported in there. 
Um, otherwise, I mean, I didn't feel like it was. It, I didn't feel like it was a huge release, but it's a decent little update. And of course, um, there's a new Python version in there, so there could be a few things that go sideways. So just make sure you got backups first, because uh, this really ships Python three point twelve. And uh, if you just use the Home Assistant OS, which is what I have capitulated into doing, you it just, have. We'll take care of it. Oh yeah. come on! I want to hear this. Why? Well, when I got the yellow, you know, it just comes with the OS, so I just. I just embraced it. I you pushed the easy button. Yeah. You went to Staples. Yeah. That was easy. Doink. And the blue also came with their OS. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how they get you. What about your scruples? Where do you leave them? Well, they're, uh, they're in my ideals now, I guess. I suppose if I were going to rebuild one day on new hardware, I may just do the container on Nix OS. Oh, there we go. Or, you know, I've seen a few configs where people bring in a few add-on containers with, a, with their Nix config. So maybe something really simple with just a couple of bare bones add-ons. But you know, as well as I do, Christopher, that you're going to watch some YouTube video and someone's going to yeah, recommend some cool thing on hacks. Oh, and oh you're yeah. going to be like, oh, if only, and then it's more than two or three button clicks. And then... Oh, it's... You know it's bad, Alex, because every time I go in there, which isn't all the time, but when I go in there, there's always like hacks uh, uh, updates that need to be installed like constantly. And it annoys me because there used to be an update all button and they yeah. removed it. And so I went into the pull request or github issue you know asking where did that button go and the developer was like yeah i'm not putting it back because nobody reads the release notes so we want you to have to click through each update manually so you read the release notes and i'm thinking i don't read the release notes when i click update all i'm now it's going to take me 10 times as long i'm not going to read them either when I right, it's taking too long for me to read it it takes too much time now uh. <laughs> yeah, i don't have time to read them uh. Please stop trying to protect me from myself. That's like an that's like an Apple move right there. Like just just let me screw up by my own volition, please. Thank you. If I had a wish list item now, it would be maybe Home Assistant has a facility where these these uh these project creators could like have a flag that says, "Hey, surface an alert." Otherwise, just let it go through. Like if there's no breaking changes, let them do update all. And if there is, surface an alert first. Can these projects just have a flag that says I am my own worst enemy. Please let me break my own S. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, there may be a day, I think, when I... I think I'm on the edge of what the yellow can support at this point. My backups are getting to be about four or 500 megs, or maybe it's even 600 megs now. They're getting to be a little too big, and i got a lot of services running on the yellow. I'm really impressed with where I have taken it, but I could see maybe giving a dedicated Odroid running Nix with a couple of containers ago but i just at the moment don't see it remind me of the specs of the yellow it's a cm4 based system oh yeah i think but it's doing surprisingly well i really have no complaints i can't do any of the voice stuff directly on it um and he wouldn't be able to really with the odroid either because i've tried it's just not quite fast enough so i uh, you know if i were really going to rebuild i suppose i'd like to be able to do the voice stuff locally on home assistant well, I mean, running Raspberry Pi hardware these days is uh, somewhat uncouth. Now they're selling out and doing their IPO, right? Is that how is that how is that how we're reading it on this show? Is that our take? Maybe, but also, like, I got the you know, I was watching the Home Assistant live stream for the release, and uh, you know, I don't get a I don't get a super strong vibe that the devs want us using Raspberry Pis to run Home Assistant either. They like, they don't really want us doing that. It just I don't think they're powerful enough, um, and I think the storage is ultimately an issue. And if you are savvy enough to figure out how to attach faster storage that doesn't die after too many writes to a Raspberry Pi and make all that work, 
you're probably savvy enough to do other types of builds too. Right. So it's a, it's a use it's easy to lose. I'm not I'm not super impressed. Um, the CM4, I think, I I would have loved to him see him double down on that. I you know I'd love to see a CM6 at this point that has PCI lanes coming out the wazoo or whatever. Like that, I they would have had me. Uh, but that's not where we're at. I mean, it's it's a very different landscape. Uh, we we've mentioned this you know dynamic on the show a couple of times over the last few months, but I think I think it does bear repeating that the Raspberry Pi Five launches into a very different world than the Raspberry Pi One did. Uh, and obviously the Raspberry Pi 4 as well, to some extent. I mean, I, I feel like the 4 was the last good one, if that makes sense. But then it was out for too, for, for just too long without innovation. And it's it's kind of... We're seeing the same pattern play out with Prusa and 3D printers a little bit, where there was such a gap where these smaller companies like Prusa, like Raspberry Pi, although they're not that small, uh, kind of fell through the cracks a little bit during the pandemic and the supply chain shortages, they just weren't big enough fish in the pond to get the components. And, you know, there was obviously a whole bunch of other personal impacts as well to people and personnel. And I feel like we're seeing a hangover. And I th- I think the pie folks prioritized businesses too, right? They prioritized fulfilling some mm. of their larger business customers at the expense of fulfilling the educational orders and the consumer orders. And they lost the home labbers in that decision. They did. And it's they, they slept on their lead of the Raspberry Pi 4. I mean, I, I don't mean to disparage the, the Raspberry Pi Foundation by saying they slept on their lead, although it sounds like I'm, I'm trying to. But for whatever reason, the Raspberry Pi 5 was at least a year later than, in my opinion, it should have been, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And it's given Intel, of all people, enough time to catch up and come out with a product based around the N100 CPU. O- okay, it's not a perfect CPU by any stretch. It's only got nine lanes, I say only, nine lanes of PCIe bandwidth. Uh, but it does sit power. It does go toe-to-toe with a Raspberry Pi 5 and beats it in several important benchmarks. It has quick sync. It has, you know, because it's got PCIe properly, it's got NVMe support without a hat, etc., etc. you know. So, yeah. Uh, it's just a very different world. And during that time too, during the the release of the you know from the day the four came out till until the day the five came out, the one liter PCs just got really cheap. And I think in part because of business and businesses ordering a certain kind of PC and that just making those types of parts have a lot of inventory. And so we we just saw the price of those come way down, especially when you buy used. And that happened. Right around the time the Pi 4 came out, I don't think the Raspberry Pi Foundation ever even considered x86 machines competition. I wonder if, again, this is another pandemic, you know, third order effect of more people working from home, less of those thin client PCs being needed in offices. So they come off lease and then the market gets flooded and the price of these things comes down to that $100-ish range, which is what a Raspberry Pi costs if it's being scalped and or what the five costs with all of the accoutrement that you need, I just, I, you know, it, it's changed. It's people talk about nine 11 being a, a, a watershed moment. And I was what, I think I was like 11 or something on nine 11, maybe 12 years old. I was young. Right. I don't think anybody is in any doubt that the pandemic completely changed all of our lives. And it, it's kind of, a collective experience that we all went through, but we, we all led our own path through it. But the ramifications are just weird. Yeah. I mean, in the, especially in the manufacturing and in the semiconductor world that we just, we just saw just 
everything get turned upside down. I just was reading an article yesterday that uh, SSD prices are shooting way up. And that's after, you know, a glutton pricing. And of course, right, as I need to buy more storage. So go figure. Uh, I came across, maybe this got linked to me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blanking on how exactly I found this. But if you did link it to me, thank you. But I came across the Home Assistant Assist desktop app. Now, this is a little open source app that works on Windows, Mac, or Linux. And it lets you do the typing type communication with Home Assistant Assist. And I, I wanted to mention this. I actually will do speech to text. But I wanted to mention this because I think more people need to start playing around with this today. Your Home Assistant instance today has Assist built in and you can type your commands. And I... I am emphasizing this because if you learn what works in this context, it abs- it's the same thing for the audio context. And so you can figure out, oh, when I say turn on lights in the bedroom and the wrong things turn on, I need to go fix that before you have your whole family using the voice commands. Additionally, I'll just mention in the developer options, if you dig around, there's an assist developer option in there now. Been in there for a bit. And you can tell it, hey, do this command, and it will tell you what would have happened. It's like a dry run, so you don't just, you know, accidentally screw something up. So between the two, you can start fine-tuning the natural language controls for Home Assistant. And I think the typing, the reason why that's so great, it's instant, and you don't have the misunderstanding or anything like that. It's you know exactly what you typed, and so you know if it works or not. And this works on your desktop, so you can install it on your desktop, boop, pull it right up, turn on bedroom lights, enter, boom, it does it immediately. It's super slick. Does it do the fantastically frustrating thing of, I'm sorry, you haven't registered in the particular app. I can't tell who you are and do X, Y, Z in text. No. Yeah, for personalization, please see your iPhone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, God. I hate it. This looks like a really interesting app, actually. Like you said, it's, it's, a, it's just training wheels, and you can do it without talking. So I'm all for that. Yeah, I think it's probably worth checking out. Uh, you need a little, uh, you know, a little rust and a little Node.js, but it's all on the GitHub on how to get it going. And I think, like, like I was, the point I'm really trying to get everybody to take home is start playing with it now because they're still early in this. We as a community still can make a lot of impact. In fact, they've set up like a voice at Nebukasa email address that you can email stuff to directly for voice concerns. There's a real opportunity to participate in their GitHub as well. But even just testing this stuff and getting it refined is going to mean that if you ever do get into the voice stuff or if you ever want to use it on your phone, it's going to actually work. And by the way, it works pretty good on the phone. I've replaced my Google Assistant with the Home Assistant Assist. And I just have a, I have a persistent uh, little Home Assistant icon, little translucent icon on my home screen. And when I push it or if I swipe from the corner, I get immediate access to Home Assistant and I can execute any command. Does it respond in a giraffe voice? Not yet. Someone needs to get on that. Yes, Now I want that. (laughs) Trustybook.com slash self-hosted. Trustybook, trusteebook.com slash self-hosted is a simple, easy-to-use workbook that helps you take control of your digital legacy. And you can get started today and take $10 off. Finally, this is something we have all needed. You have written into the show about this. It's a new digital estate planning tool by Nerd Butler. You can create hard copies of your most important information. And if you're in business, they've got great stuff there for continuity planning. But of course, that concept applies to all of us, even families or just anybody with a digital empire. I'm talking about storing hard copies of your most important account information and really any kind of records you might need in case of some kind of emergency. 
See, TrustyBook helps you create a comprehensive plan for managing your digital estate, including your passwords and your social media accounts and all the other important information you might need. And the best part is TrustyBook is intended to be downloaded and used offline. So you can feel safe that once you fill all that out, you got it all in there. It's private. It's secure. It's under your control. TrustyBook has a comprehensive approach and really a user-friendly design. I think it's a must-have for anyone who just wants to avoid that situation where if something were to happen to you, your family members have access to the information they need. Or, you know, maybe something happens to that cloud service. Or, you know, if you're traveling and you've ever been locked out of your accounts, oh, having a hard copy is a lifesaver. TrustyBook covers all of those use cases and more. It's for people who want to have hard copies of their digital records for themselves and for maybe their loved ones. So go to trustybook.com slash self-hosted or use the promo code self-hosted and you can take $10 off the purchase of TrustyBook. It's a simple, easy-to-use workbook that helps you take control of your digital legacy. Get started and support the show by going to trustybook.com slash self-hosted. That's trusteebook.com slash self-hosted. Well, don't say we didn't warn you, folks. The entification of Plex continues apace. Plex has launched a movie rental service. And I'll take the other side of this. It's not so bad. You know, if you're going to rent movies, are you gonna, where, where would I rent them from? Google? I don't really want to do that. YouTube? That's basically Google. Apple? No, I don't really want to do that. You get a blockbuster, don't you? Right. Well, I mean, so you get a 30-day rental for $3.99. And they have some decent movies in there. I don't know. I'm not a big movie rental guy anymore. I haven't really been very interested in movies for the last few years. I, I really can't think of a movie that's come out that I've I'm sure there's been a couple, but I can't really think of any. So there's nothing I want to go rent right now. But if something came out that I was really hyped about, the thing that's kind of nice is if you're already a Plex user, it's in the, it's on the sidebar and it just looks like you're browsing a Plex library. They're, they're not hitting you with like all of these like over the top banners and and animations that start auto-playing when you select an album or whatever. It's just, it looks like your regular Plex library, and then when you access the media item, instead of a play button, there's a, a rent for three ninety nine button. Oh, but that's almost more annoying, isn't it? it? It's kind of like the Amazon Prime playbook of showing you what you could have won if you'd only paid me X number of dollars. Like, if it had a little banner or a little star or some, some way of identifying it was a paid item... Uh, I'd be more down for this as a, as a way to go. But um, by the time I've clicked on it, I've already decided I want to watch it. And, you know, the, the last decade plus of, of watching whenever I want has, has taught me that that's what's going to happen next. Not that I have to pay some more money. Yeah, I could see that. Right. Building up the user expectation that stuff in here just has a play button and I can just watch it. Mm-hmm. You have to wonder, this took them forever to launch. Like they've been talking about this since... 2020. This has taken forever. And I'm kind of surprised they don't have an ad supported version since we just saw that Amazon Prime is announcing that all levels of membership will be getting ads. And Netflix has been talking up their ad supported tier forever. It just seems like all these guys are trying to, you know, have their cake and eat it too. I'm surprised Plex didn't go that route. I'm not as negative about it. I'm not going to use it. If I were going to rent a DRM encumbered video, maybe the Plex is the company I'm the most comfortable renting it for. And you get 30 days, which is better than most platforms. But okay, so so here's the thing, right? It, 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 this, this does not address 
in my opinion at least, this does not address the piracy problem that Plex has. All it does is it serves to fill in the blanks of people who are already using Plex, who for the most part probably are sailing the seven seas one way or another. Is piracy a user problem? Is it a platform problem, a pricing problem? I I don't know. Yeah, I think it's both. I was just thinking there would be a, but you wouldn't want this to reveal information about you, but there would be this kind of nice fill in your gaps of your collection. Say you have a, a TV show with eight seasons and you're missing season three and four, or you're just missing certain episodes, or maybe you have the Terminator movies, but you don't have Terminator one. And you could just like, okay. So in the music world, we have that. When I tried Rune out a few months ago as like my whole home audio little test thing, I can subscribe behind the scenes to Tidal. It, so Rune will prioritize all the files I have locally first, still show me the ones that I don't have through Tidal and play them through Tidal with a little Tidal icon in the corner. So I know it's doing that. So I'm paying for that music and it's you know integrated natively into my collections. Yeah. Why isn't there... I think we know the answer. It's money. But why isn't there a video platform like a Spotify, like a Tidal? It's just, I mean, that's this is where Netflix was headed until the movie studios on mass decided that we needed a streaming service for every single delineation business unit that they have, you know? And they don't want any king. It's like they don't want anybody to be a kingmaker. And they 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 can they feel like their video IP their their IP is so valuable and maybe they're right that they have to do it this way. But that it really would take an iTunes like solution because it really was iTunes and services like that that killed Napster and prevent prevented the normies from adopting Napster at scale. And if Plex could just be like an entire everything service with all the licensing and autofill in the gaps in my library, now, boy, I, I would cancel my Netflix and Prime subscription tomorrow. It's close, right? I mean, I'm kind of talking myself around throughout this segment. Renting a movie for four bucks a pop, it's not bad, actually. You know, if you consider that my title subscription would have been, what, I know, 15 bucks or something, and that's just music, air quotes, just every song ever made. But, you know, like if, if there was a movie service that was 50 bucks a month and it genuinely had everything, fine, sign me up. I'll do that. Yeah, right now I think they have deals with MGM, Paramount, and Lionsgate. So they've got a 1,000 titles. We'll see. I think the problem is going to be licensing. Also, the the mobile apps don't support it at the moment, so you have to do it through the website. Or Well, that's a good experience. Yeah, they'll get there though. They'll, yeah, I, it is funny that they've been working on this since 2020. I'm betting that they've been close several times and then they've been rugged. Feels like the type of thing that that happens a lot. I don't know. Um, you and I don't really use Plex anymore. No. So we're not really going to see this. And I don't foresee Jellyfin uh, going this route. God, could you imagine? But yeah, no. I don't, I don't, yeah, I just don't think we're the right customers for this. But, um, you know, maybe family members. We'll see. I still, I still, I still want Plex to be around, so I hope this works out for them. Well, thank you everybody who boosts into the show. If you'd like to boost, go get a new podcast app. Podcasting 2.0 is all about keeping podcasting decentralized and not owned by Apple or Spotify. And there's lots of new features, and we'll be rolling them out to the JB show, JB shows soon, like uh, transcripts. 
the chapters that are next level. Also, notifications when a new episode goes out with within about 90 seconds. And then maybe even one day, alternative enclosure support. So it supports multiple different file formats, live streams. There's all kinds of great features, including boosts. And we got a nice batch of boosts this week. Taryn boosted in with 108,642 stats. That's our baller this week. And uh, he writes, I finally made it here. After almost two years of listening on Spotify, I decided to try something new and participate in the podcasting Tudodo community. Thanks, Chris, for help with the BTC setup. I found self-hosted during the pandemic, and it was accompanying me to during one of um, one of my runs. I guess. Oh, 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 he means actually running. See, I'm so out of shape. I, I think of like, what's he running from? No, during one of his runs. He said, I caught up with the uh, back catalog, and now I have to wait two Long weeks for new releases. <laughs> yep, right. So, shout out to the Ansible NAS project, which for me was a great way of starting with self hosting. I think it's a great compromise between no code solutions like Cosmos Server or Umbral and starting from scratch with NixOS or Docker Compose. You start with something ready to go, and then you modify the configuration YAML files, and it'll quickly grow into adding your own modifications and then learning Ansible and Docker Compose as you go. It's a slippery slope. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Thank you, Taryn. I have or Tarion, I have been getting more slowly into Nix modules, a similar concept where you take like a base Nix system and then you pull in this module and it just like installs all the stuff. There's like mail server modules and matrix server modules and Bitcoin node modules and on and on and on. So that's been a that's been a fun deep dive that I'm just kind of beginning to figure out. There is a talk, I think it's at NixCon, although it might be Linux Fest Northwest. At this point, my head is so confused about NixOS on the home server, which I'm really hoping to get to. Mm, yeah. yeah, I think that is at NixCon. Also, thank you for that baller boost. I appreciate you taking that effort uh, to get all set up. IMAPI comes in with 50,000 sats and says, nice show. Keep going. Thank you, IMAPI. And, you know, you boosted <laughs> on Fountain, and I, I saw self-hosted on the top charts there for a few days. So I appreciate that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's always cool. Let's see that. Lego Feet comes in with 20,666 sats. Hey, guys, listener, since the start, truly appreciate the transparency around your tail scale relationship, but I'll admit I'm a little annoyed that I learned Ansible right as Alex became a Nix convert. <laughs> well, okay, okay, okay. I am still using Ansible for – I haven't switched any production right. systems <laughs> to Nix yet. I, I'm, I'm chasing that carrot slowly but surely, and I feel like I will get there but there's just always that one more thing to learn before I do, right? And one more. I bet he says, it goes on, I've been running WireGuard for ages, and I love it because it makes any device behave like it's on the land. I run my own internal DNS and reverse proxy, and would TailScale add much more than WireGuard here? Nicer authentication is something, but that's not. I'm not that fussed about. I love that we got this boost in this week when literally the opening segment was just what was ostensibly a giant advert for TailScale. And I was thinking about this before we did the show because we've been doing the show for what four and a half years now and throughout that entire run basically the show's just followed yours and my interests as as it pertains to self-hosting and running applications and stuff like that and when you messaged me and said right what we're going to put in the dock for the show this week i was like well i've just been focused on tailscale and docker for like two straight weeks writing this blog post like that's all that's loaded into context right now so I guess we're going to talk about that. And, you know, I, I appreciate that you you appreciate the transparency. Uh, okay, we need to get a room, us two, don't we? Aww. But, you know, it's it, don't think it's not front of mind for, for me particularly because, you know, it's... Uh, 
the last thing I want is to come across like a shill. You know what I mean? Like the, the authenticity has got to be there. And I just find it interesting. Like solving the connectivity part of self-hosting is probably one of the most difficult parts as a new person. And that's really why I took the job there. It was to try and further that, that mission and cheese ball lines aside, you know, it's, uh, it's, I'm having a good time. It's, it's one of the things I'm the most excited about in self-hosting since I figured out Docker Compose years ago. Mm-hmm. It's like that level of breakthrough for me. And, and I, I feel like another reason why I want to keep talking about it is because I haven't actually nailed exactly how to talk about it yet. We're getting close, but I know I could s- explain it even simpler if I could just get it a little bit. So I'm, I, it's just something I'm still working on, but yeah. It is uh, It is both on the front of our minds. And would WireGuard, would TailScale give you anything over WireGuard? Well, I think one of the things you have to realize about TailScale is the setup time. It's like 10 seconds per device. And you also can put it on like your iOS devices and your Android devices. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of products out there have TailScale add-ons, even like VS Code. So there's a level of integration that you can get to that you you can't really get to on WireGuard. You could bake it in at the OS routing level, but you can't really get to it at like the layer seven level like you can with TailScale. Um, and to me, that's some powerful stuff right there. And it also is just a lot quicker to set up. And then you also get that central dashboard, that admin console, that you could roll with various WireGuard apps and stuff, but you know, you got to do it yourself. All right, all right. The ad read was was 20 minutes ago. I know, but really, it's just, it's <laughs> how I feel. It's, it's you know, yeah. even if they, the, the you know, I shouldn't say this, but if they ever stop sponsoring, I'm going to immediately stop talking about it. So, no. <laughs> Uh, Cultivator comes in with a Spaceballs boost. One, two, three, four, five sats. He says, there are more machines and software running in my home now than ever. And it's all the fault of this podcast. Please help me keep my list of projects growing and never shrinking. (laughs) Cultivator, thank you for the boost and you're welcome. Keep on going. If you haven't done Audio Bookshelf yet, God, I, let me see. So how long was it? A month ago we covered Audio Bookshelf? You think? Let's go to notes.jupiterbroadcasting.com and find out. I'm not like the most intense user, but I'd love to get my data on this because I've used it every day since we did that episode. Yeah, so, good. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. User stats. Since we did that episode, I've listened to 697 minutes of audiobooks. Yeah. It was alongside Lube Log and Sterling PDF the last time we talked about it. So there you go, Cultivator. Enjoy. Time Door comes in with some space balls. One, two, three, four, five sats. He says, thanks for the awesome shows, fellas. I got onto Fountain finally just to share that, and now into the future, I will. Alex, thanks for the orange hard drive. It's still being used as a backup drive attached to my TrueNAS scale. You kept the spark going during a tough time, and I am grateful. Oh, I do know. Yes, I sent this gentleman. I, I had a, a four terabyte, two and a half inch spinning old like laptop hard drive that I didn't wasn't using anymore, and we did a giveaway. And uh, Thank you for writing in. It's great to hear from you, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, it's, it's gone to a good home. Ah, and he says he's been messing around with Proxmox on a Frankenstein computer, too. Well, let us know how it goes. Yes, please. Let us please. know how it goes. Thank you, Time Door. Appreciate it. Appreciate that Spaceballs boost. Grumpy Linux Admin also comes in with a Spaceballs boost. Add winter, not on my watch. <laughs> Love you guys. Always looking forward to new episodes and Alex's videos. Well, you got both this week. <laughs> uh, yes, you did get a Tailscale video, but I, I'm also, I had a box arrive this morning from a company called Sliger. They saw my 45 Home Lab case review and reached out and sent me a case to review. So there'll be another Home Lab home server case review on my uh, KTZ Systems channel before long. I am oddly interested in a good Home Lab case. 
Yeah, this one's about half the price of the the forty five home lab case. So all right, I like that yeah. too. I haven't opened the box yet, so you know it's not even first impressions right now. But the packing tape's nice. All right, all right. <laughs> Purple Dog comes in with five thousand sats from the index. I started using NixOS containers with with Tailscale in them. I only have one so far, but it's got the DNS server for my Tailnet while on the same host outside the container, and I have the same config building in the DNS for my LAN. Some records uh, resolve the, on the Tailnet and with the Tailnet IP, and some with the LAN IP. Both are using Nginx virtual hosts to config and generate the DNS records. You know, I feel like DNS is one of those areas where we could probably do a better job. You, you can piece it all together yourself, but I, I see this as quite a common thread. People have these elaborate setups of, you know, split DNS is is one thing, and and that works pretty well. But there's there's quite a lot of people that just want a pie hole or just want an ad guard home, and then be able to access that instance from wherever they are. Uh, and we don't make it as easy as we could, so I'll add it to my list of things to world world problems to solve. I'll add it to my list along with world hunger. Bear boosts in with ten thousand sats. This is I'm still a Prusa fanboy, and I don't see that changing. I love my Mark IV the way I loved my Mark III S Plus when I got it. And you'll come back around the first time on something your bamboo breaks, and you realize the consumer it's a consumer product and not a project. I was hooked on the Prusa the first time. Uh, when one of my and I could print one of the parts that broke on my Mark III, and I was able to print that replacement um, at my local makerspace and get it fixed back and printing the same day. There is something about Prusa. I don't know what it is, but I've got one behind me in my kind of like little makerspace man cave up here that I, I do all these shows from, and I had a pair of bamboos. I bought two on Black Friday, and I sold one of them, not because I don't like it. But because when I bought the second bamboo, I said to the wife, right, this means I'm going to sell the Prusa. And every time I started trying to list it, I was like, you know, that's like my old favorite laptop. Like I can't bring myself to sell it. And I I feel like now you're right. It's a project. Like I enjoy tinkering with the hardware and enjoy building the printers. And Prusa just released the Mark, uh, I think it's Mark 3.5 upgrade kit, which has a lot of the Mark 4 stuff in it, like the new screen, new motherboard, all that kind of stuff for the Mark 3 without, you know, being super expensive, like the full Mark 4 upgrade kit, which they also make, by the way, which is amazing that Prusa do that as a company. I, I love that about them. And we're going to be talking more about 3D printing in the next episode, if everything goes correctly. Hopefully, we'll have Gina from Octoprint on to talk a little bit more about 3D printing next episode. I'm looking forward to that. Podbun boosted in with 5,000 sats. I was I've been thinking about this boost all week for some reason, Alex. He wrote, what Alex said about music helping you focus makes so much sense. I never really understood how it worked, and neither did my last manager, to the point where I, I couldn't put into words to them why it helped when they complained about me having my earphones in. Well, we should probably clarify for those that don't subscribe to Jupiter Party, which, by the way, Jupiter.Party, and you can get a nice post-show where Chris and I talk about all sorts of silliness. One of the things we talked about in a prior episode was how when I was doing a track day before Christmas that I did my best ever lap times and I was in the car by myself and I had the tunes cranked and it was albums that I knew inside out and backwards, you know, like Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory, you know, Limp Biscuit, whatever stuff that has been with me since I was 11, 12, 13 years old. That's just part of my soul. I don't have to think about it, but it, it, whenever my brain goes to that kind of like, Oh, I'm about to get distracted moment. Instead it hooks into the music and I don't actually get to the distracting thought. I come back to what the original thought was. And it just allows me to concentrate a lot more. And, 
Yeah, headphones, I tell you, are like a magic source to me for concentration, music in particular. The post show paid for itself. I'll tell you what, I've been listening to music a lot more while good. I worked since, since we, yeah, <laughs> it was good. It was oh, great. Our uh, last boost this week comes from Rotted Mood, 10,000 sats. He says, uh, just boosting to say that Gitting Obsidian setup is the same thing that I've been running, and I never had any issue with it since all my notes are in Markdown. And that box is on my tailnet, and I can access the notes from anywhere from a browser. The only issue I ever have is with images when rendering the markdown through the web interface. But that's not really a huge deal for me. You love boosts like this. Blah, blah, blah. Never had an issue. The only issue is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> images we're all like that. We're, we're, we're all like that when it comes to our self-hosted setup. I'm sorry, rotted mood. I, I don't mean to piss on your bonfire and shit on your cornflakes or whatever, but... Uh, I just I just found the dichotomy of that comment quite funny. Yeah, it's funny how like you can get almost everything working, but the images don't load right. It's like, well, you could download them and then open them, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, go figure, right? It's like when you have a Linux issue, you get 20 listeners writing in, Chris, have you tried? What yeah. about, oh, what gosh. if you did? Oh, gosh. There's yeah. 100 ways to solve it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Routed Mood, for that boost. Thank you, everybody who boosted. We had 10 boosters this week, and we stacked 246,343 sats. We like to be radically transparent with you because this is a value for value podcast. If you got some value from the show, what we talk about, some resources, some things, ideas, etc., boost in and get your message on the show with a new podcast app. Thank you everybody who does that. And also a special thank you to our site reliability engineers. We have a link at selfhosted.show. You can subscribe and get that post show Alex was talking about or jupiter.party. You get all the shows, all their extra bennies and you support the whole dang network. Selfhosted.show slash SRE for the membership for just this show or jupiter.party. I got a new thing I'm experimenting, and I think I want to mention it. I ha- I'm calling it The Launch, and it is a tech news and music show, which sounds weird. It's a new genre because we've never really had access to music and podcasting before, so I'm just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. But I have about a half hour before every Coda Radio each week where I play the clips from the from the news of, of like just stuff that's going on that week that's going to kind of set the stage for the week. And I've been collecting value for value music and i've been putting it together and making a little show called the launch so i just thought i'd tell people about it if you want to check it out it's it's at www.weeklylaunch.rocks you gotta have the www right now which uh, i'm working on i'm working on cloudflare you hear me i'm coming for you cloudflare but www.weeklylaunch.rocks it's uh i got four of them out there so you could try the latest one or try the third one maybe don't start with the first one you know the first one's never as good but if you like it, stick around. I'll be back. Like that like that Vision Pro. You know, the first one is always the worst one they're ever going to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. A lot of times the first episode is just a little rough. But www.weeklylaunch.rocks. It's my first .rocks. And as usual, you can go to alex.ktz.me to find all of the different places on the internet that I reside. That's great. I, I should do that. I'm all, you know, then I just, just plug one thing all the time, un- relentlessly. We are on Weapon X as a show at Self Hosted Show. Are we? Do we? Do we even post on there much anymore? I mean, I don't know. I don't. I'm I don't sure know. I do. I don't know. Uh, there's the signal, the Jupiter signal. I mean, there's like episode release announcements. Those come out. We should just we should just move all this to Masto, right, and just be done with it. Maybe. I mean, I don't use Masto a bunch, but I don't really care. I had serious FOMO this weekend because it was FOSDEM and I didn't go. And I, I had I had the option to go. And I was like, nah, you know, I'm just going to stay home, focus on the family for a bit. And I see all these posts of people having a great time in Brussels and, you know, damn, yeah. it looked like a good conference. 
Yeah. Lots of people, though, Alex, you would have gotten sick. Oh, well, I've got a three-year-old. I'm, I'm about to get sick tomorrow, probably. <laughs> so... Uh, you can find uh, I'm I'm trying Noster, although I swear to God it barely works. I post stuff and it like shows up sometimes, but I got it linked at chrislast.com, chrislas.com if you if you if you want to try Nostering me. Nobody does so. Well, you know what does work? Self-hosted.show/slash one one six.